Hey, welcome. Season two, sorry, season three, episode two (laughs) of the astrology show. I'm so stoked to be with you here on this Jupiter day. Um, You know, maybe it's not Jupiter day when you're listening to this, but this comes out on a Jupiter day um, while Jupiter is in Pisces. So I'm stoked about that at least. And I'm super stoked to share this episode with you today. Um, This is the first of our four episodes on the signs. Um, We're doing four episodes because we're doing it by element. So today is earth signs. Um, And these will be coming out over the the next, the following Thursdays. Um, So yeah, you have these to look forward to. I, you guys, this episode... This episode, oh my God, (laughs) it's so good. It's just, yeah, you're in for a treat. All of these are amazing and you're in for a treat for, for all of these, um, these sign episodes, but yeah, I think you're going to feel what I'm, what I'm like feeling right now, which is this groundedness, centeredness, um, and yeah, just very very nourished, you know, like eating a nice hearty bowl of soup or something. Um, (laughs) But before we get into the episode, I just want to remind you um, or tell you if you don't already know that the doors to the 11th house are open for a couple more days. Um, The 11th house is my online membership community it is for astro nerds, for you know, students and enthusiasts of astrology who want to learn in community and want to connect with other astro nerds and like-minded cool people. Um, we do that by meeting up twice a month. We meet up, we have a bunch of monthly meetups, honestly, but we meet up every new moon and full moon. Um, I talk a little bit and then I put you into breakout rooms and you get to actually have time and space held for you um, by other members. We go around and just share. You just kind of get to talk about whatever you want to talk about. We also have prompts a lot of the time. So um, sometimes we do tarot circles and trades and yeah, we have a lot of fun. Um, And people make, people are making friends, which is really cool. Um, So yeah, the 11th house, we do our meetups. We also have monthly guest workshops. So you have access to, um, yeah, these monthly trainings by awesome members of our community or people adjacent to our community who have some really good wisdom to share. Um, those are also open to the public. So if you aren't, if you don't feel like, you know, you want to be a part of the 11th house, but you are interested in our workshops, you can still buy a ticket too, which is pretty cool. Um, that's something new that we're starting this year. So you can find information about that in the show notes. Um, and then we also in the 11th house have a discord channel, which is like, you know, pop in 24 seven, basically, um, where you can connect with folks there. We do monthly reading trades, um, or you can come, we, we host those month a mo- once a month where you can come and get paired out with someone and do a reading trade, which is pretty cool. Um, you also get access to a whole 
like archive of my of some webinars and lectures that I've done. Um, you get a discount for the store to buy more web, web webinars and lectures and workshops that I've done. Um, and yeah, you get access to the archive of like all of our previous guest workshops. You just get a shit ton of content, a shit ton of opportunities to meet other astro nerds and speak astro language. <laughs> um, and yeah, a bunch of a bunch of content to learn from and, and to connect with others around too. Um, lots of fun stuff happens in the 11th house. So if you're interested, definitely come check us out. Doors are open for a couple more days. Get in while you can. Um, we only open doors a couple times a year. So this is sort of our debut opening for 2022. We haven't opened doors since September of 2021. So we've been... We've been, you know, doors closed, Saturn style, working on some updates, getting stuff in a really good place to reopen again right now. And I'm super stoked to invite in new members. Um, everyone, everyone in the 11th house is just such a joy. So I'm excited. I'm excited to welcome a new cohort. Um, and yeah, besides that, Season three, here we are. We're back. We're back with a lot of really, really good episodes for you. Um, yeah, again, more to share. Oh, I guess I can like kind of talk about this um, 11th house thing that I was teasing before because it's partly 11th house, partly the astrology show. Um, and basically what I'm doing is I'm starting this new series of episodes called Venusian Afternoons. I'm going to try to get like some sort of Venusian Afternoons jingle. <laughs> Let me see what I can do about that. Um, but without, I'm not going to tell the backstory of Venusian Afternoons now. I'll wait until the episode comes out. But essentially, it's going to be afternoon hang time um, with me and a couple other astrologers and 11th Housers will be able to join live. So you'll be able to watch live um, while I basically hang out virtually with a couple other astrologers and we shoot the shit and we talk about the astrology of the next two weeks and we'll answer your questions. We'll answer questions from 11th Housers um, and yeah, have a nice little Venusian gathering basically. So 11th Housers will get to um, join those live and then we will be recording them and sharing them with you all on the podcast the following Monday, um, which is Venus night. So that's a cool, fun thing that's happening, um, starting at the end of this month, end of February. And I'm excited to see how it goes. Yeah. Any, any excuse to hang out with astrologers, honestly, <laughs> I'll do anything. Um, so yeah, Super excited about that. Extremely stoked to share this episode with you. Um, so with that being said, I will let you listen to it. Hey Mo, Jason, and Michael, how's it going? Good. How are you? 
Hey. Good. I'm so excited to talk to you guys about the Earth. <laughs> the whole and thing. Earth signs. <laughs> and Earth signs. Um, yeah, this is the first episode in our Earth sign, our Earth sign series, in our sign series, and we're talking about the Earth signs. And of course, you guys know how I do. I have to bring in people who whose charts pertain to the topic. Um, so we have a representative um, of each earth sign, of each sun sign. Um, and I guess, yeah, we'll go around, we'll, we'll say our, our SMRs. And of course, I'll kind of give the mic to you guys to introduce yourselves, um, talk about a little bit about your practice. Um, and we'll start there. So Mo, would you like to kick us off? Sure. Uh, hi. Start with your SMR. Don't forget that. Of course. Um, hi, I'm Mo. I love talking about my chart. So I am a Taurus sun, <laughs> uh, Sagittarius moon, Pisces rising. Um, my practice is mostly Hellenistic slash medieval oriented in terms of its uh, techniques. I am a huge fan of the subdivisions of the zodiac and... Those of you who don't know and are late to the party, I just wrapped up a series on the Deccans with Pow on our uh, podcast called the Fixed Astrology Podcast. So, oh, I also do tarot as well. So a lot of my um, astro tarot relationship is informed by, you know, the, the Deccans and the narratives behind them. So it's been really cool to spend the past year deepening that relationship and understanding. Yeah. And if you're if you're like, what the hell are the Jekins? What what is Mo talking about? Don't worry, we are going to record a whole episode about it <laughs> with Pal. So TBD um, or TB to come? I don't know. To, that's to come, <laughs> forthcoming. Thank you. <laughs> um, and Mo, okay, so yeah, you you take you take clients at this point, right? And you're you're doing consults. Yes. Yeah, so my consults are open again, but I am on a um, referral slash existing client basis only. Cool. So if you know people yeah. and really want a reading, get referred. Awesome. Yes. Um, and of course, you joined us last season with Jake Green to talk about the lot. So um, if you haven't checked out that episode, you definitely should. All of you are returning guests, so we'll shout we'll shout out to all of our old episodes. Um, but yeah, Taurus, the, our Taurus representative, thank you for joining us. <laughs> um, Michael, do you want to um, introduce yourself? Sure. Um, so my name is Michael J. Morris. My pronouns are they, then, there. And I have Taurus on the ascendant. My sun is in Capricorn and my moon is in Gemini. Um, and I'm an astrologer, a tarot reader, an artist, a writer, an educator, and a facilitator. Um, my, my consultation practice is called Co-Witchcraft Offerings. And my approach to astrology is um, primarily rooted in the Hellenistic tradition with a focus on some modern techniques like the use of major and minor asteroids, which Kira and I talked about on an episode, I think it was last season, of the astrology mm -hmm. show. Um, and then I also approach my work, my astrology, from an explicit queer feminist orientation, um, and then also bring decades of study and practice in dance and yoga and butoh and reiki and other embodied 
movement practices, embodied healing modalities um, as a way of centering the body as both the site of where we make meaning, but also where we do some of our most important healing. Um, and I think that that fits really well with astrology because um, because the body is the meeting place between the earth and sky. It's literally what's described by the ascendant where the sky meets the earth as our body comes into the world. And that's the starting point for each and every natal chart and sort of the starting point for my practice as well is always starting from and coming back to the body. Awesome. Yeah, and I was blessed enough to receive a reading from Michael on my birthday, uh, my 30th birthday. It was so amazing. Um, and the way that you incorporate the asteroids into your readings is just, I am still thinking about it. I'm still thinking about Hercules on my moon. And like, I think about that like every day. <laughs> and Zeus, the Zeus, the Zeus of my ascendant revelation has stuck with me too. So yeah. Um, Still, still beaming over that, and definitely check out our asteroids episode. Um, and you also did a workshop about the asteroids for fresh voices, and I think that's on your site, right? Yeah, that's available on the digital downloads page for my site and my what else? What did I say? Oh, astrology and the body that I talked about at Fre okay, the Fresh cool. Voices Summit the year before, and then some other talks that I've given are all available for download on my website. Awesome, cool, thank you. Um, and finally, Jason. Jason K. Welcome. Do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Kira. Um, yeah. Sun, moon, rising. So I am a Virgo sun, uh, Gemini moon, and also Virgo rising uh, with Mercury in Virgo. So very focused in one direction. Um, <laughs> yeah. So as my practice, um, I mean, I guess it's primarily a study practice at the moment. I don't really take uh, uh, clients, but um, it's been mostly influenced by um, traditional Hellenistic astrology with a little bit of medieval and Renaissance mixed in, especially influenced from kind of the horary traditions. Um, but I am also a diviner through um, more... I, I kind of take up oracles like other people take up languages, so I, <laughs> I enjoy reading with uh, tarot, geomancy, I Ching, um, a little bit of Lenormand, and recently I've attempted to pick up uh, reading with dominoes, which is actually like really fun. Oh my um, god. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, yeah, but my, my main uh, training background is uh, sort of in the somatics world as well. I um, no longer practicing, but was trained in massage therapy and a variety of different modalities, um, energetic and kind of more manual. Um, and also, I uh, have a master's in acupuncture and was a practicing acupuncturist for a number of years. Um, and then went on to kind of work in residential uh, mental health, uh, doing neurofeedback training uh, with mostly adolescents and young adults. Awesome. Yeah. You are such a Mercury incarnate. Like <laughs> the the way that you, like the, I would say borderline divination obses obsession, and not to say that you're obsessed with divining, but just like the methods, you just do so many different types of divination and I just find that to be so goddamn mercurial <laughs> and so like yeah the embodiment of of that that um magician prince you know I just 
the magician card comes up a lot. Um, and I love it. And yeah, I, I like to collect mercurials. So, <laughs> um, and you fall so nicely into my seventh house. Um, <laughs> so yeah, um, I was going to say, which episode we did, obviously the Mercury episode together. <laughs> um, and I know a lot of Mercurials who love that episode. So that was way early, um, season one, I think episode four or something, um, three or yeah, must've been episode four. Um, check that out. We did that with Gabe Rosas and yeah, it was really fun. We just talked about Mercury. <laughs> um, so today, oh wait, actually we didn't really... We, I like to do that. I like to see how we know each other um, and see if you guys know each other. So, of course, um, how do I know you guys? I know Mo from Twitter, <laughs> for sure. Um, and I think we just kind of ended up in some group chats together and just fell in love. We have our ascendants are, are conjunct. So, um, yeah, we were just meant to meet. Um, yeah, to meet in person. But that'll. are you coming to Norwalk? Probably not this year. Is ESAR still happening? Yeah, yeah, I'll be there. I will try for ESAR if money allows, okay. but we'll see. We'll see. Okay. Yeah, we'll 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 link up eventually. Um, Jason, we met at Norwalk 2019, um, and Michael, we have not yet met in person yet, but we met through. We we've done this before. We're like, how do we meet? Instagram? <laughs> I think so. I think it was some social media platform. It was either Instagram or Twitter or something. And then, yeah, and then um, through connecting more through Fresh Voices and the and the, the podcast and, and, you know, just yeah. being in community on Astro Twitter and things. Of course. Yeah, I remember we were, I was just like, we need to connect. And we just, like, did a Zoom call once for, like, an hour and yeah. just, like, <laughs> got to know each other. Because I was like, I want, I want you to do stuff with me. But, like, I feel like we should, like, talk for. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so that was great. And so do you guys, I'm sure, I'm assuming Twitter, um, you guys are familiar with each other? Yes, Twitter. I know yeah. all of you through Twitter. And I think, Jason, you and I had a consult together at mm -hmm. one point. Yep. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. Yep. Astrologers, reading astrologers. <laughs> the way it should be. <laughs> exactly. Um, awesome. Cool. Well... I'm excited to have you guys here. I'm excited to talk Earth. Um, so I wanted to start by just talking about Earth on an elemental level and why I chose Earth to be first in the first place. I think a lot of people would think fire first. Um, but through, you know, teaching a lot of fundamentals last year, it's so weird to say last year because um, <laughs> it was like a week ago. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, last year teaching a lot of um, <clears throat> the fundamentals and thinking a lot about the order of the spheres, the order of the cosmos, you might say, which is a the theoretical, mm, it's not really theoretical. I mean, I don't know if theoretical is the right word, but um, <laughs> it's kind of a model of the um, of of the cosmos, you could say. Um showing and it, it 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 displays it sort of in levels um or, or like a, an order a divine order you could say um which really shows like a kind of underlying um system and at the same time kind of has a lot of problems when you think about the way that <laughs> like I, I was talking about this in my course or whatever 
are something I was teaching, but it's like, it's sort of like they're, they're trying to rank divinity in a way, um, because it starts with the ether, AKA heaven, AKA, you know, God consciousness. What else can we call it? The void, we can call it, you know, um, source, the numinous, um, et cetera, et cetera. And then from there we get to the stars, the stars that we call the fixed stars, um, and those include our constellations, you know, our the zodiac bell, all of that. And because the stars were fixed and um, unchanging, or at least appeared to be, um, they were considered like very divine, not as divine as heaven slash God, whatever, um, but the next level of divine. <laughs> and then we come down to the the spheres of the planets. Um, and we have our seven heavenly spheres, um, starting with Saturn as the outermost sphere, and then Jupiter, and then Mars, and then the sun, um, the center sphere. And then we, um, did I say Mars? Sorry, Mars, and then the sun, um, <laughs> and then Venus, Mercury, and the moon, um, the innermost sphere, of course, closest to Earth. And then we get into the elemental spheres when we get into the earthly plane. I'm skipping the sphere of the da the daemons for now, but um, we'll get into the 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 earthly sphere where we all reside. <laughs> um, and of course, basically, the, to go back to the idea of ranking divinity, the the closer the farther away you get from the ether, and the closer you get to the earth the less divine things become, <laughs> basically. And the more, and because the, the reasoning behind that is the more changeable things are. So once we get into the spheres of the planets, the planets move and not, they don't only move, they, they move, they stop, they go backwards, <laughs> they stop, they move forwards, they, they, you know, run out of their declination. They, they do a lot of changing, um, which is considered, again, less, um, less perfect um, than the, the unchanging oneness of, of source. Um, and so then you get down to the earthly spheres and we are the most changeable of all because not only do we do we like move around and stuff, but we die. <laughs> we, um, you know, we go through this birth, life, you know, death cycle um, and all things within the earthly sphere are impermanent. Um, or yeah, that's the word, right? permanent, not, not permanent, permanent, impermanent. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, once we get into the earthly spheres, um, they, they also have levels to these four elements. Um, we start with fire, um, and then, then air and then water and then the densest element earth. So I wanted to start with earth, um, start from the, the, the core and work our way outward um, and so, yeah, to start, I wanted to kind of just talk about the earth element and just like what, when we, when you think about earth, like what comes to mind, even if we're not thinking about it astrologically, um, just elementally, what, what sort of imagery comes up for you? And I'm going to just start with you, Mike, Michael. Well, I love that you gave that, um, articulation as to why we're starting with earth and earth being kind of at the bottom of this hierarchy of divinity. Um, because actually, I mean, um, the, the, what we what we call the triplicities, this organization of the signs into groups of three, 
um, actually predate the the attribution of the elements to um, those groups of signs. And Chris Brennan actually has a great article. Let me see. What's the name of that? Um, it is called... Oh, the planetary joys and the origins of the significations of the house houses and triplicities, um, where he really um, describes where or how we might understand it's a it's a hypothesis as to how the elemental attributions came into the zodiacal signs and why we might think of them in this relationship, um, and it has to do with looking at the. Um, because it wasn't that way originally. Originally, the triplicities were discussed as these groupings of signs in relationship to sometimes the winds, the four winds or four directions, mm -hmm. um, which corresponded symbolically and mythologically to the four seasons. Um, but then also the um, uh, the planets that ruled them in terms of the Trigon Lords or the triplicity rulers. And so before we even think about what does Earth mean in the astrological system? These three signs that we're talking about today, Capricorn and Taurus and Virgo, were already associated with one another due to their rulership uh, through triplicity by uh, Venus by day, the moon by night, and Mars as the cooperating triplicity ruler. And then in Chris's analysis, we can see how each of these, the planetary joys, um, when they're when they're uh, or arranged on the zodiac in terms of the um, uh, 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 tri uh, angular triads in terms of the the midheaven the IC the ascendant and the descendant that we can see that the triplicity rulers are organized around these four axes mm. such that the fire rulers um, the sun and Jupiter are they're they're uh, the houses where they have their joy are on either side of the midheaven, so up at the top. And as you were describing those spheres, that fire of the four elements is the highest and descending mm. down from there. And the triplicity rulers of the air sign, um, Saturn and Mercury, are around the ascendant, which wow. is rising up. The yeah. triplicity ruler <sighs> of the earth is down at the bottom, Venus and the moon having their joys on either side of the IC, um, at the farthest down, and then Mars, the the remaining triplicity ruler of the water sign, is around the descendant, has its joy in the sixth, um, right around the descendant, and is moving downward. And so we mm -hmm. have fire at the top, air rising, water descending, and the earth at the bottom. And wow. so we have this arrangement of planetary rulers before we have the, the, the arrangement of the elements, but then it corresponds across these multiple schemas in the Hellenistic tradition. Um, I think it was Vedius Valens was the first one to attribute the elements in terms of in descriptions of the triplicities. But of course, but this other, this triplicity system existed before then. And maybe the, the last point, and then I'll take a breath and let someone else talk, is I love that you said it is a little bit problematic that in these, these um, heavenly spheres, there is a kind of ranking of divinity because not only is the earth put as the lowest or that which is farthest from the divine, um, the, plant, the triplicity rulers of the earth signs are the two so-called feminine planets. And so then we have an association between femininity and the earth at the bottom of all things. Mm -hmm. And I think that that corresponds really obviously to a patriarchal, hierarchical way of thinking that puts the earth as like a raw um, material resource to be consumed mm -hmm. and extracted and manipulated by 
human culture and civilization in the ways in which that has also been attributed to the bodies of female assigned people, women and femmes. Um, and I'll just gesture towards, we don't have time to go into this, but I'll just <laughs> gesture towards the fields of ecofeminism, queer ecofeminism and ecowomanism that have been critiquing this association between the earth and woman or the feminization of the earth in ways that produce mutually constituting hierarchical dualism such that woman or femininity is always subordinated to men and masculinity and the earth is always subordinated to the human. The body is always subordinated to the mind. People of color are always subordinated to whiteness and so on. And we can see how these dualisms play out all through Western civilization, including the astrological tradition. And I'm not yeah, and, and that is worthy of critique. It's worthy, worth mm -hmm. thinking about as we're focusing on the earth element as the starting point, as the base of all things, that as 21st century astrologers operating from hopefully justice-oriented lenses, hopefully from feminist orientation, that we might critique what does it mean that earth is at the bottom, that the feminine, the so-called feminine planets are at the bottom, that the before it was called the earth triplicity, it was the earth, it was the triplicity ruled by Venus and the moon and so on. And so mm -hmm. those are sort of my initial thoughts as to how do we start thinking about the earth triplicity, but I'll hand it over and see what, what other folks have to offer. Uh, thank you so much for that, though. That was so rich and such a great place to start off from, like the the association of the earth element um, to femininity, to this more, you could say receptive, I don't really love that word receptive all the time, but you could say more receptive qualities, or I like to say introverted a lot of times to um quality as a as opposed to the the other binary masculine which is more associated with fire and air um mo or jason who wants to pop in <laughs> sorry my my mind is just like <laughs> right yeah. now because like you know i was thinking it's interesting how like the assignment of the different triplicities to the different angles or pivots kind of uh, mirrors like what I was thinking about when I think about Earth. Like I think about, um, I can't remember if this was an extension of like, you know, the four humors in terms of like the temperaments and how they're assigned to um, elements. But I'm just thinking of the fact that like Earth in particular is like one at the bottom, not, not from the sense of like, you know, oh, this is like less than or what have you. I reject all of that, by the way. But it's like, I think of the IC especially as like the root. It's the thing that holds the, the chart up. And, you know, as someone who is, you know, a neuroscientist by trade, um, I think about, you know, the mind-body question a lot. And, you know, I'm coming from a biology background rather than the psychological background, which my partner comes from. And, you know, it's almost like it's interesting how we when I say we, I mean, like Western society, not necessarily the people in this meeting, but Western society has like put the intangible on like a pedestal for so long when it's like without the, you know, without the vessel to, you know, have the experience or um, go through things like what what meaning does all this intangible stuff have? So, for example, like color perception without eyes, you can't perceive color. 
if you don't have the right, you know, cone and rod receptors, you can't perceive color a certain way. So it's like, yeah. it's, it's really interesting that like, you know, there's this like rejection of, you know, the material, because I think there's this constraining element to it that, you know, maybe, and I would say that this is true even in other cultures where there's this elevation of like the intangible over the tangible, because there's this hope that we can escape like the, I guess the burdens that come from, you know, being, you know, encased in a meat suit and like having to survive and having to do all these things to maintain ourselves. But I think it's interesting how like in terms of the angles, like in addition to being the thing that literally holds everything up, it's like, you know, we we all like return to that, like there's sort of this like death like signification there. So I think it's interesting that like, I would argue the moon is a benefic, but that's just me. Um, it, like two very benefic planets are just kind of like having their joys, like either side of the IC, which represents like going back to the earth. So it's like, this is where we come from and this is where we, we return, you know, inevitably. And so like, there's some weird symbolism about that, that I feel gets lost in all of the, you know, pop astro epithets of mm -hmm. this is all about chasing a bag and like liking materials and whatnot but I feel like there's this conversation about the struggle to accept our mortality and like embodiment that I feel gets lost when talking about earth signs mm. wow that's definitely a word yeah um the return the return home or the the homecoming aspect of it even when we're talking about getting back into our bodies, um, you know, nourishing our bodies. I, when you bring up the moon and Venus, um, you know, kind of flanking the IC almost, they're, they're, um, they're places of joy. To me, I just think about how the moon and Venus have so much to do with both um, nurturance and, like, safety, but also... Um, just deliciousness, like the richness that comes from the earth, literally all of everything that we eat, right? Like not everything, but you know what I mean? Um, the, 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 the garden of Eden, like that is earth. So yeah. Okay. I'm going to stop. I'm going to give Jason the mic. Cause my, I'm just kind of talking, <laughs> talking with like the pictures in my brain, but Jason, <laughs> love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, this is this is a great conversation. Um, yeah, I, it's so interesting. I, the with everything that's been said so far, where I think my thoughts were going initially is uh, was very informed by my Chinese medicine training, which has a different elemental schema. And really, element is not even a a good translation of um, what's really the five phases. So it's really um, kind of more of these moving processes that are like, uh, yeah, so slightly different correspondences, but that's where my head goes because thinking about earth that's associated with the, the melancholic temperament and the, uh, the qualities associated are, are dryness and cold, uh, which is interesting with kind of the, um, it, it kind of, creates this interesting contrast with what was already said about the moon and Venus as the triplicity rulers um, because that coldness and that dryness is is actually like a removal uh, kind of creates a sort of distance 
Um, and they're also the qualities that, you know, to, to Mo's point about mortality, they're, they're the qualities that are sort of most opposed to like what the, what requires life to be sustained, which is like heat and moisture. Um, and so, yeah, to me, like earth, my mind jumps to the melancholic temperament, which definitely has this like greater proximity to, to, to death, to mortality and to, you know, literally the grave in the earth itself. Um, and thinking about the, the two different ways that an excess of melancholy can go sort of, and I guess thinking about this more from a psychological or, uh, uh, personality standpoints, but that can, that can either sort of, uh, sort of encourage a, a, an interesting and often problematic like disidentification with kind of like the core of of life itself and sort of feeling of that like remoteness or removal from and we're definitely going into like you know saturn's rulership of capricorn here just like that that distance from from community from life um uh and then you know the the virgoan sort of like excess of dryness like going more towards um greater abstraction and kind of like uh but again both are sort of have this potential for like a, a distancing um but from a physiological standpoint uh a temperament that is overly dry and overly cold is one that is actually prone to sickness and so like there's also kind of this um precarity uh that enters into the physical constitution that i think affects people's uh psyches in Again, in a way that either, you know, in the sort of character of the Saturn archetype of like a Scrooge type of character that is like kind of like, you know, is this person even human kind of kind of personality uh, or one who is very much in contact with um, the preciousness of life because that like proximity to mortality is, is more present, uh, which... I mean, again, it, it's not a guarantee, but um, uh, a lot of people dear to me um, just uh, have, you know, lifelong struggles with like chronic illnesses and things of that sort. And the tenderness that I appreciate in in them, a lot of that really comes very directly from from their own struggles with their own body. Like that's felt. That's it's so tangible. It doesn't really even have to come from like a abstract like values standpoint it's like the, the grip on life itself is kind of more more tenuous and um and a lot of these qualities in in the the sort of chinese like cosmology uh there is crossover with the earth element but it's actually a little bit more similar to the metal uh phase uh, which is associated with autumn so it's that kind of dying away of things and kind of stripping of the material uh back into kind of the more more spiritual um so yeah i mean this discussion of earth just like brings in all of these all of these paradoxes uh that i don't know it's just really interesting i'll, I'll just stop there and see where we go from there no i love that because it's it's true there is that that really interesting paradox around um, around like earth being this place where, again, we come from, like life grows out of, but also it's where we, where we return. 
um, in that, you know, impermanent, sublunar, <laughs> less than divine <laughs> sphere that we all live in. <laughs> um, so yeah, thank you for the, that reflection. I love that you brought in um, your back, like, yeah, the, the Chinese medicine perspective of that as well. I think I'm thinking about it too because it's really cold right now it's and really very dry <laughs> in this apartment. So I'm like, I'm feeling the melancholy in my body yeah. right now. Yeah, oh, I hear you. I mean, my apartment too gets so dark and cold <laughs> and and dry. Yeah, I hear you. I, if if it wasn't for this like nice LED light I have lighting up my room <laughs> and me leaving the heater on in here all day. Um, yeah, but... I was just gonna say, like when I when I think of Earth, um, I think what comes to mind for me always the, the number four. Um, but I think of like I think of grounding basically. Like that's kind of always the first word at least that comes up when I think of Earth. It's just um, the stability, the consistency, and the um, the grounding nature of it. It's just the the density, I guess, of it. Um, which again can be something that is like grounding in a way that is, um, you know, centering and makes you feel like you're, you're coming home or in the way where it's depressing and it feels like a burden and you're trapped in it, (laughs) you know? Um, and so, yeah, it's, but, but still that core sense of, um, of, of consistency and dependability that's we kind of talk about people in that way but that's just like the element in and, of, in and of itself like um not to say that things don't change with earth because obviously it it does but it's in a way that um yeah it's it's definitely the the, the least changeable of the, of the four <laughs> of the four elements um and i find that earth People with like, you know, I guess a heavy earth or a more prominent um, earth in their charts do have this sense of acceptance um, for, I would say acceptance for and um, comfort maybe around just being in this physical world, like just living in the material, being a material girl in a material world, you know, it's just this ability to... um, yeah, I would say acceptance is is the is the word that I would use for for a lot of earth heavy people. Um, and yeah, let's get into it. Let's let's get into the different, the three different um, expressions of earth and in, in our zodiac. And I wanted to start with Capricorn um, because I wanted to start with Cardinal. Um, and Michael, you mentioned before the the four directions or the four winds. Um, when we talk about cardinal signs, um, which is, you know, cardinal is the modality, um, we talk, we're talking about the signs where um, when the sun would enter that zodiac sign, we would see a change in winds, a change in, in the directions of the winds. Um, and uh, cardinal basically just means, yeah, change in, <laughs> change in direction, right? Um, and I think it's worth it to say that when we talk about modalities, cardinal, fixed, immutable, we're talking about sort of like a, you could say like the movement of the energy, of, of the earth energy, of the elemental energy, the type of 
the type, the way that the element moves, I guess you could say. Um, so yeah, with cardinal signs, we get the signs that begin seasons. Um, and with Capricorn, Capricorn season, we have the winter solstice. Um, yeah, the beginning of the beginning of winter, <laughs> or and or spring, depending on where you are in the world. Um, and so yeah, with, with cardinal Earth, um, do you want to kick it off, Michael, and just kind of speak to that energy? Just how do you conceptualize cardinal Earth? Hmm. Well, I mean, I think that I. So the cardinal signs, especially in the ancient literature, are often referred to as the movable signs. So it's like something's happening. There's actions. And I think of the cardinality as action-oriented and also initiating. Like as you said, whether it's initiating the winter, the season of winter in the northern hemisphere or the season of summer in the southern hemisphere, there's the start of something at, well, at all the cardinal signs. Um, and cardinal Earth, especially cardinal Earth ruled by, um, by Saturn, there is this a focus of starting something, of initiating something, but it's often a concern with initiating things that are going to last and endure. Um, I think of it as building or putting something into place that can support us for a long time to come. So it's it's really different than the than the cardinal initiatory quality of something like Aries, which is like really fast and quick, and then it's done. Um, the, Capricorn, there is an orientation towards beginning and initiating and starting something, but with the intent that it's going to continue and last. So there's actually like um, maybe some similarity to some of the ways we might also talk about Taurus. There's also some really important distinction, but because they're both Earth and because Taurus is a fixed sign, but Capricorn is ruled by Saturn, which is the slowest moving of the planets, there is this like enduring quality to to Capricorn and and the ability to endure, to um, put in the necessary effort or the work or um, yeah, the energy to to build what is needed or what is necessary. Um, and I think in terms of like some personality qualities that we often associate with that, but I think it could show up in, in, in other forms as well. That could be things like a hardworking disposition or being especially diligent or um, the kind of like focus and discipline that's necessary in order to sustain um, ongoing effort that's needed to build and to put things into place in the ways that we might associate with Capricorn. And then I also, because it's one of the two signs ruled by Saturn, I also often strongly associate Capricorn with an orientation toward or an allegiance to the past. That's one of the ways that I differentiate between Capricorn and Aquarius is that um, Aquarius is often more forward looking or more oriented toward the future or an allegiance to worlds that are yet to come and the rules and the systems that we need in order to support and sustain those worlds to come. Whereas Capricorn, there can be more of an allegiance to the past, towards tradition, towards what's come before and maintaining or sustaining and carrying those things forward. And so even though there is this initiating quality and starting something new, Capricorn, there's also, we're starting something new by bringing the past with us in some way. We're carrying the that which has come before into the present moment. And I think maybe that's one of the other things that I strongly associate with earth signs in general is presence. And Kira, you were talking about the, um, the, the ease or acceptance with this um, uh, terrestrial, tangible 
um, reality and materiality. And I think that with that, there, there, uh, comes this, um, yeah, just more, uh, quality of, uh, being grounded in that particular kind of reality and, uh, present with it in some way that part of being present even as mo was saying like that what part, what part of what it means to see is to have this very material physiological optical apparatus and so part of presence maybe for all the earth signs is about that ease and acceptance of our material condition and with capricorn it sort of sits at this pivot point of like bringing the past into the present in some way those are some of my initial thoughts. I think there's probably a lot more we can say about Capricorn, but yeah. No, I love that. Um, that was that was great and really thorough. Um, and part of what you were saying about you know Capricorn and being ruled by Saturn, kind of something that I always think about when it comes to Capricorn, both Capricorn and Aquarius, and basically the signs ruled by both Saturn and, and Jupiter, but especially when we're talking Saturn and the aspect of distance. Um, I always kind of think of the idea of perspective. And so to me, Capricorn is um, concerned with building on, in, yes, for the long term, absolutely, but also in this, I, I think it's so, um, I don't want to say community oriented necessarily, but definitely like society oriented in a way, or it's not necessarily just trying to build, you know, a home for their themselves for the long term. I think Capricorn is so, um, you know, Saturn has a perspective of everything, you know, it's the farthest, farthest planet. So it, it's building for the long term and it's building structures for society for the long term. And it really does have this, um, yeah, this kind of bird's eye view, which I tend to associate more with Aquarius, but it's I think true with with Capricorn. It's more um, it's more like yeah, we have the perspective, but I, I kind of picture Capricorn as like getting down and dirty with it, like actually like boots in the ground, you know, hands hands dirty building. Whereas Aquarius is a lot more, you know, it's the air sign. It's a lot more intellectual about it and um, ideas oriented. But yeah, the Capricorn is like let's build let's build these structures for everyone, you know, for society. Um, yeah. Do Jason, do you have any thoughts about Capricorn that you wanted to share? Oh gosh, about Capricorn. <laughs> Graham was already drifting to, to Virgo. Um, let's see. <laughs> no, I want to get everyone's opinions on each side. All right. All right. Cool. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. The, sort of solidness and dependability qualities of earth i think are what what jumped to mind um it's i don't know it's, it's interesting like i kind of almost see like each of the earth signs as like a different type of like surface uh that you can that you can stand on um and for sure the cap capricorn feels like uh something stonier or something um something that'll hold up my weight in a way that I don't have to sort of test and think about. Um, it, 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 it has a surety to it. Um, it's as kind of like, I don't know, to my mind, um, the earth sign that, that exemplifies that, um, 
sort of resistance to change so it's like the longest lasting one it's the one that sort of preserves um and thinking also too about um the combination of dryness and coldness as a preserving agent um and you have both of those elements and uh, a body in the ground is going to actually mummify not decompose um i think to yeah the the mountain imagery also comes to mind with Capricorn in a way that um, that can show up as more of that like standing standing apart piece uh, that that Earth can sometimes exhibit. Um, what else comes to mind, Capricorn? Um, humility, I think, is the other big big thing that jumps to mind, especially for all everyone I know personally that. Uh, it really shows up with that quality. And it's a humility that, yeah, that is doesn't draw attention to itself. Um, it, yeah, it, it exists and can be relied upon. And, um, and it's, it's also, it's also the reason why my Capricorn friends are the ones I want to, uh, be the quickest to uh, give credit to and sort of like hold up on high since they are seem less likely to want to do that for themselves. Um, yeah, yeah. Come back, come back around. There's, there's, there's another no, thought that brewing, was, but no, that was great, and it it pinged some things for me too. I mean, the mountain imagery I think is a big one, and and just goats in general. And I don't know if if any of the three of you have um, anything to say about the mountain goat versus the sea goat. And I I know nothing about the sea goat mythology, but I'm told that one's more accurate to describe Capricorn. Um, yeah, does anyone have anything to say about the goats and the mountains? I mean, for me, <laughs> the mountain imagery really jumped out. Like, so I yeah. think of Capricorn. So, like, I have this weird view of Capricorn. Um, I don't really view Capricorn as, like, yes, there's an allegiance to the past. But, like, I weirdly see Capricorn as, like, the progenitor of tradition, right? Like... So when you think about mountains and how they form, or even things like canyons and plateaus and all that great stuff, right? Like these are uh, processes that happen over thousands, millions of years. And I think that part of the reason, like, and this speaks to like the rulership um, Saturn has over the sign. Like, I think because the changes that Capricorn tends to make are things that are more um, incremental and like, almost imperceptible like unless you like really look back at the past to see what's different like this is something that pow and i talked about like on the cap deckens episode which is coming out like sometime this weekend i think but like i was i remember saying to her that i felt like it's kind of like aging as a process right think of like the saturnian concept of time right like when you see yourself every day like you're not thinking oh i'm like different oh like it's just you're with yourself every day you're like just living your life you know all thoughts all vibes whatever but then it's not till you look at pictures of yourself from even like a year ago where you're like oh I look a bit different and 
when did this happen? I never really like noticed, right? So like, I feel like that's the kind of change that um, Capricorn tends to go to go for. And it's like, you know, we can appreciate the, you know, uh, awe of like a mountain or like a canyon or something. But it's like, I think if we were like, you know, there every day with it, it really wouldn't look that much different. And we would, you know, think nothing of it. So that's what I think about when I think of uh, Capricorn. I love that um, because it, the especially the the attention to the incremental time and and I love that between Jason and Mo that both of you are giving a sense of like almost like geologic time and it's like so deep and slow that the kind of daily the dailiness of it seems as if nothing's changing but over generations we we can see what's changing and it reminds me of a way that I often talk about. Um, Jupiter in Capricorn and Jupiter, I have three planets in Cap the sun, Jupiter and Neptune in Capricorn. So I think a lot about Jupiter being in its fall in Capricorn. And one of the ways that I talk about it with clients, but also thinking about it in terms of my own life is that Jupiter, Jupiter is planet that we associate with abundance and expansion and growth. But in Capricorn, ruled by Saturn, there's all of this constraint and restraint and limitation. And I often use the metaphor of bonsai, where there is absolutely growth, but it is slow, it is minute, it is developmental um, through like really deliberate choices, because there's not going to be a burst of like the oak tree sprouting all new branches and leaves every spring. It's like it's going to be so deliberate. In, in its approach to time and change. And so even though that's not the, these are two different metaphors, the geologic time and the bonsai, what it has in common is this like gradual, incremental, intentional deliberateness that I think that we maybe could could associate with Capricorn between those two metaphors. And the, and the oh, do, you, you go, Jason. <laughs> Gosh, yeah, the, the geologic time thing is like making my brain spin, yeah, spin up for, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Because I think also over that like long arc of time, uh, it's it is also kind of what what happens to uh, to a surface a medium when it's subjected by like the winds of change, and so like there's also an accident piece to it too that happens over. You can't be in perfect control over that long of an arc of time. It's it's an accumulation of. Uh, things that have eroded and things that have like accreted to it and um, what builds up in those small like with those small and incremental changes uh, it's just something that that could never have been sort of like uh, imagined in sort of a single lifetime or, or in a single imagination um, it's it it becomes so much greater than the, the sum of its parts and can never have been sort of like planned out by an architect in in some ways and and that to me like those things that have been any encounter with something that has been subjected to that long of a time i think is also very intimately tied to the the, the sense of awe and wonder which i think is is um yeah i feel like that's something that i'm also wanting to kind of give to, to Capricorn in, in a certain way. Um, it's, it's, it's the presence of a vastness that, um, kind of, again, humbles too, right? Like, uh, to be humble and to, 
uh, to be humbled by the universe and the, the, the vastness of time and reality and uh, trying to loop this back to the kind of ego thing a little bit um, you know Saturn and Capricorn's association with like the sea and the ocean and like sailors and like but it's it is the unknown so it's the ocean is also space it's also like the remote like rarefied air the mountaintop it's it's everything that is like like that was far away and somehow I mean on a on a sort of sensory level the difference in like subjective state of whether when you're looking at something that's like you know only this far from your face like close up versus like when your uh when your eyes shift to a depth change that is like you know miles and miles miles away like uh where a mountain is like through the space of a canyon um there that feeling of awe and expansion also comes along with that too um so i think it's also a consciousness about what is always like going to be greater than like our singular like point of existence or life um yeah yeah deep time i love it (laughs) yeah no to to kind of piggyback off of all that um and kind of bring it back to the to the mountain (laughs) the mountain theme you know it just makes me think about again the the idea of Capricorns having this sense of time and this acceptance um, of time and within that like reality, which, you know, time is sort of a reality construct, right? It's like we kind of have this perception of of time moving, but Capricorn, Capricorn placements, I think, um, have this ability to maybe not see the long term but sense it and and have an acceptance for time you know and how things just take time um and and that's why it's like even if i can't see the top of the mountain like i'm just going to keep going until i get there you know um and so that yeah everything we've been talking about with like this incremental time just kind of brought me back there um and then also the the humility and the the humble nature um, of Capricorn and of therefore Saturn. Um, and we can think about it being, you know, down to earth, right? Like that that idea. Because we do, we, like most brought up before, we do hear a lot about Capricorn just kind of being like chasing that bag, you know, wanting to live this like luxurious life. They talk about that with both Taurus and Capricorn. Um which is very like not Saturn, um, <laughs> but but even besides that, like the um, just being able to, yeah, I don't know, just be of the earth, and I guess this is now bringing me to, um, you know, um, what am I trying to say? Like a love of land and of the earth and. I find Capricorn placements to be the biggest, um, you know, what am I trying to say? E- ecologists, but that's not the word I'm looking for. People who like want to save the earth, you know, <laughs> um, Capricorn placement. And I think the Pluto and Capricorn generation um, in and of itself, like they have this reverence for the earth in a way that, you know, we don't really see in a lot of other generations because they know that time's running out, you know, they have this, this like huge aware, awareness of time and, and of 
the necessity to, <clears throat> excuse me, to um, restructure the ways that, that we're doing things so, to save us. <laughs> um, and I just, that's just something that really stands out to me about the Pluto and Capricorn generation is just how they are, you know, I'm obviously speaking very gener general, general, generalizing here, but um, that just seems to be a standout feature of their generation to me. Um, yeah, any closing thoughts on Capricorn? I do want to make a comment. It's funny how, like, I guess there is, like, a, an awe or a humbleness that Capricorns, like, can have. I just do know a lot of Capricorn placements who are not humble. <laughs> but well, there's, I was, I was going to bring up, like, the, the harshness yeah. of Capricorn, that, that can come up with yeah. Capricorn, um, and the coldness that can come up. And I think what it comes down to is, like, this, the, the reality, like the understanding of reality <laughs> and, and of, um, you know, just the way things are. You know, one thing I will say is that maybe it's not necessarily like coming from an egoic place like it would for like, you know, like a Leo placement. But something that I've noticed about um, both Saturnians is that because they have this like keen awareness of certain um, certain features of like the constraints of like reality whether that's you know like the mechanics by which like the literal aging process works or like just like the patterns that repeat in human nature as is the case with Aquarius like I guess for people who don't who aren't comfortable with like both Saturnians um because they have this keen awareness of you know the constraints of reality, both materially and socially, um, people who aren't ready to confront those truths may accuse either of having a God complex, which I have seen, but I feel like that's just coming from a place of not understanding like the constraints that they see and have accepted. Mm -hmm. Right. Definitely. Well, and I think it's a, uh you know, if, if we're going to sort of explore what sort of that more egoic uh, <laughs> expression of that looks like, it, in a way, it's, um, it feels very, like, well-deserved in a certain way, maybe just internally, but I think from externally, too, because when you are, when you're so clear about, like, what the sort of, uh, what the constraints, what the laws of necessity are in any given situation, uh, that gives you a lot of sort of strategic advantage, right? Like you, you know what it is you have to account for to maximize uh, for for greatest like benefit or for the desired outcome. And to the extent that someone uh, kind of hones that sensibility of like what is required to get to where I want to go, and and um, succeeds in in mapping the the path to to achievement uh there's a lot of like very tangible laurels to stand on right <laughs> like it's like uh well i did all this so um and I, and I think maybe there's a certain way that all the earth signs share a type of haughtiness that is like probably related <laughs> um yeah uh but we can we can get into that with the other signs <laughs> Also, yeah, I have to say I'm not I'm not an earth sign, but I feel like I'm a um, honorary earth, earth sign because my chart ruler is in an earth sign. So I'm going to give myself that. <laughs> 
but no, we will. Um, and, and so therefore I agree, but, um, I think, I think I want to, I think I want to transition to talking about Taurus now because, um, yeah, we're going to go from cardinal to fixed and, and talk about our, the most fixed, the most, the most, the most earthy earth sign, <laughs> um, Taurus. So Mo, do you want to take it away oh. and of course. Tell us about you. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be a bit spicy and argue that the most fixed sign is Aquarius. I will articulate okay, that I... at another time. But uh... <laughs> I'll note that for the air note sign Note that episode. for the air signs. And <laughs> I'll get their opinions. Get their opinions. But uh, no, like, you know, I, I really like that you started with uh, Capricorn and moved us through, like, going from the cardinal to the fixed and then finally the mutable because the way I kind of like interpreting I guess the signs but also like I've been thinking about this from a tarot perspective as you move through like the minor arcana like we start with the cardinal um, cards move to the fixed cards and then finally end with the mutable cards and the way I think of fixed signs is they're all about stabilizing continuing maintaining like sometimes it has like a purpose a lot of times it does not so the idea that you know taurians can be goal oriented i've seen that come up especially if it's around like material i I don't think that's quite right and you know like as a taurus that you know um isn't really down with all the like I, i like nice things but like i'm not really down with all the like overly capitalistic gluttonous depictions of Taurus um you know full disclosure I have someone who's who's like struggled with like eating habits so the idea that you know Taurus just wants to eat all the time is also very weird so you know I get the idea of like Taurus wanting to maximize pleasure that's the way I see Taurus it's a sign that knows what it likes it knows what it needs to sustain itself there's this huge nourishing quality to Taurus just because it's the place where Venus is in domicile. It's her preferred domicile, by the way, not Libra. So the air signs can also enjoy that. Um, and it's the place where the moon exalts. <laughs> and, you know, like, I I really think that people underestimate the, like, nurturing qualities of Taurus I really think a lot of, um, you know, agrarian, like growing, um, knowing how to like properly take care of like plants, people, yourself, so that you can grow. Right. And I don't know, like, I just think of the fact that the moon and Venus are more wet planets, but Taurus is a cold and dry sign. So I think there's something about the cold, wet quality of Taurus that combines well with the wetness of these planets to facilitate, like, the foundations of life. So that's that's just the way I see Taurus. So, yeah. I love that. I love that a lot. Yeah, you know, just to kind of um, piggyback off or to come back to what you were saying about the depictions of Taurus being, like, gluttonous or just, like, wanting luxury things and... What I think of when I think of Taurus is the five senses. Like that's always what comes to mind with Taurus. It's it's sensual. And Venus, the ruler of Taurus, just wants 
to feel, you know, it wants to feel good, you know, not just feel like Venus wants to feel good. Um, and that involves, you know, pleasures in all forms, beautiful music, delicious food. It's not about eating all the food. It's about having amazing, delicious food. <laughs> it's about having, you know, great sex, you know, or just like being draped in fabrics that just feel good on your skin because, that's what Venus is about. It's about, um, it's, I think, you know, as a lesser benefic, it's about like the simple pleasures of life. You know, it's just like the things that feel good on a moment to moment basis, like listening to your favorite song, um, or, you know, just having a bite of something that's just like scrumptious, scrumptious. (laughs) Um, so, so yeah, it's like, to, to not um, overdo the stereotype. It's just like, yeah, it's not about having like all the food. It's not about having, you know, the most designer clothes. It's just about having things that make you feel good, you know? Um, yeah. And I love what you said about, you know, Taurus being a cold, dry sign, being a, an earth sign. Um, but the moon and Venus having, you know, this being one of their favorite places in the zodiac, and the the fact that their moisture um, combined with the environment, the the natural environment of Taurus, creates um, this really fertile and stable place for life to form. And I think that's another big part of Taurus is the it's stable, and that's why the moon loves it. You know, because it's just like okay, this is like a good environment. I can grow some stuff here. Um, for the long term. Um, yeah, Jason and, and Michael, I'd love to hear your thoughts about, about Taurus. Whoever wants to go first. Let's, let's start with Michael because Michael's a Taurus rising. It's true. I am. I have a lot of thoughts about Taurus. I actually, I mean, <laughs> um, my bias towards astrology is like, I, I, when, when I'm asking someone's sign, I'm more likely asking their ascendant than their son. I, I associate like personality traits and things like that far more with the ascendant than the sun. Um, and so because of that, I, I, I think I identify with more with my Taurus than with my Capricorn. Um, and I think I agree entirely, Kira, whenever I think about Taurus, I go first to the senses, to the sensual, to the embodiment of pleasure and satisfaction and, um, and the ways in which that's related to the Venus rulership and Venus's um, desire for experiences of pleasure for embodied connection that Venus unites. It brings things together. And in this fixed earth sign, that's an embodied kind of connection, a physical form of pleasure, whether that's uh, erotic or otherwise. But I do think there is something particularly erotic about Taurus. And maybe that's the the Venus and the moon bringing the moisture into the cold and dry and um and creating the conditions for generativity and creativity to thrive in that place. And it makes me think of when I, when I say the erotic, I I am talking about the sexual and the sensual, but also in a more kind of expansive way. Um, and the ways that, uh, um, Audre Lorde writes about the erotic, um, black lesbian, feminist, poet, warrior, writer, um, Audre Lorde, who actually had her moon in Taurus. Um, so an exalted Taurus moon, Um, And she has an essay called Uses of the Erotic, the Erotic as Power. And I want to read at least one passage from that, maybe two, that that echo some of the things that Kira was already saying. Um, She writes in that essay, For the erotic is not a question only of what we do. 
It is a question of how acutely and fully we can feel in the doing. Once we know the extent to which we are capable of feeling that sense of satisfaction and completion, we can then observe which of our various life endeavors bring us closest to that fullness. And so that that sense of end quote, <laughs> that sense of satisfaction, that sense of not only um, doing things that are pleasurable, but feeling deeply into that experience. And then that setting a kind of standard or um, expectation. That's not, again, it's not about the capitalist indulgence of I need all the things or more things. It's I understand the depth and quality of satisfaction of which I am capable. And once I've known that, I can hold my whole life to that standard. There's a standard quality, I think, to that. And then there's another passage that I think really reflects some of the Venusian qualities of Taurus, um, where she writes, let's see, I probably won't read this whole thing, but let's see. We'll see where we go. <laughs> she writes, quote, The erotic functions for me in several ways, and the first is in providing the power which comes from sharing deeply any pursuit with another person. That sharing of joy, whether physical, emotional, psychic, or intellectual, forms a bridge between the sharers, which can be the basis for understanding much of what is not shared between them and lessens the threat of their difference. Another important way in which the erotic connection functions is the open and fearless underlining of my capacity for joy. In the way my body stretches to music and opens in response, hearkening to its deepest rhythms. So every level upon which I sense also opens to the erotically satisfying experience, whether it is dancing or building a bookcase, writing a poem, or examining an idea. That self-connection shared is a measure of the joy which I know myself capable of feeling, a reminder of my capacity for feeling. And I guess I'll stop there. There's, you know, it's a whole essay, but this idea of not only feeling deeply into any of these experiences, whether it's fucking or dancing to music or building a bookcase or writing a poem or examining an idea and then sharing that. And that's the part that feels so Venusian. It is the feeling deeply in an embodied way. What is the felt quality of this experience? But then sharing that quality with others, I think is deeply um, related to Taurus because of the, the Venusian rulership. Um, and I think some of the other quality, in addition to that erotic, pleasure-oriented pleasure quality to Taurus, other things, just to echo some things that Mo was saying, is like consistency and reliability and persistence, the kind of un, if not resistance to change, the, the tendency away from change that we see in the fixed signs in general, but especially here in an earth sign as well. Um, yeah, and then I guess my, my last thought or a last thought for the moment is that because of Venus and then because of like my own experience as a Taurus rising, um, I also associate um, Taurus pretty strongly with the arts and artistic practices, especially um, embodied and material-based artistic practices. So for example, I have Taurus rising, my Venus is exalted in Pisces, um, and uh, both my twin and I are artists. We have the same chart, obviously. Well, I don't know if that's obvious. We have the same chart. Um, and I'm a dance and performance and movement and ritual artist, which with multiple degrees in dance, 
Um, and my twin is a visual artist who works primarily in painting and sculpture and perfume and fiber and other media and also has multiple degrees in art and teaches at the Art Institute in Chicago. And so it's like um, there's something about that um, uh, Venusian quality that gets elevated because of not only ruling the ascent, the Taurus ascendant, but also the ways that it shows up um, being exalted in Pisces that I think really pulls forward some of those artistic qualities. But I think that that's innate, this, this, this desire to create something that appeals to or satisfies or enriches the senses, I think is maybe like the imp one of the impulses toward artistic practice that I relate back to Taurus in some way. Mm, I so definitely. the erotic, the artistic, and so on. I do want to jump in and say that yeah. you brought up something that I think about when I talk about all the earth signs. And I think it's because Venus is like um, the daytime triplicity lord. I think of, you know, um, even Capricorn, I think of them all as artisans. They just have their different like media. Mm. For me, Capricorn is the architect. It's the sculptor. Yeah. That's why I talk about it. You too. know, like Taurus is like, you know, the perfumer, the like painter, the dancer. Florist. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Virgo, I think of like a jewelry maker or like something that requires like fine motor skills because of like the mercurial nature. But like, I just love how, I guess, in... Out of all the earth signs, like, I feel like Taurus has the most obvious association with the arts, but, like, the earth signs as artisans and craftspeople don't sleep on it, period. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Here for it, yeah. Jason, do you have Taurian insights to share? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think my I think my insights have a lot to do with the feeling of so Taurus is my my ninth hole sign house and it's um I I have noticed just how important a theme that is for me as far as a thing that I reach for as a thing that is like not something that I always have immediate access to um and there's always been a direction of growth because I think my relationship to embodiment was, was more of a journey rather than kind of the thing that I felt like I started with um and and just looking at back at the arc of my life going into body work uh, coming from being such a I mean still such a kind of heady mental in head in books kind of kid um there was a really important like balancing that happened to really like drop into my senses into um into feeling and being conscious from within my body uh, in in different ways, and um, it's in there's a there's a contrast, but it's not a contrast with, with Capricorn in that kind of some of those themes that I I was talking about that all of us were talking about of uh, of distance and remoteness by Saturn's rulership. Um, with Venus's rulership, Taurus has that immediacy. So it's 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 kind of the opposite end of that. It's just like close, all the way close up, um, you know, to where our senses can be most in contact uh, with, like brings into intimacy the the thing that is outside that is other. Um, but it's also the knowing of the other through the senses um, that 
what comes in through sight, through sound, through touch is like, oh, there's a presence of something that is not me. It's also like a way to 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 come into um, not self, uh, which which I think is is worth bringing up again to sort of contrast against the stereotype of the self indulgence of uh, of tourists that some people like to point to even. It, it's actually a it's actually a lot about going beyond self when you're that in touch with your senses um and again for me that has been like a really important growing growth arc because i didn't have a lot of friends when i was growing up and it was just very like isolated in in yeah in many different ways and um getting in touch with my senses enabled me to be more comfortable connecting with others um and knowing of of others through uh through an expansion of of kind of sensory awareness has been really profound too because it's you know you're not just the person that i see with my eyes you're like you know what your voice lends to kind of the composition of your self to me and you know if we were in the same room if like scent was in there and kind of and then there's sort of the um you know beyond the traditional five senses but that sort of energetic presence of like bodies in space um that's that just opens up a whole nother level of information and knowing of another person that is uh yeah in a very non-intellectual and very non-abstract way is is there's a isness to to others that is mediated through the senses Mm, that's beautiful yeah that just made me think about all the tauruses in my life and and major people with major taurus placements um that are just the best people to touch you know they just i just touch so good and they give good massages and they're just the best people to hold hands with and cuddle and just touch, you know? Um, and it just makes me think of when you talked about like the proximity and, and the like, you know, way up closeness of Taurus, that's kind of what came to mind is the, the, this, the physicality of it in general. Um, yeah. Which makes me think about how Uranus is in Taurus and, Rahu is about to move into Taurus. If it's not already, I'm like looking at my watch, like it's going to tell me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, that's soon to come, and how we're about to experience throughout, you know, 2022, this sort of like when I think of Rahu, and then also Uranus on Rahu, which I have natally. Um, it just to me is like pumping, like turn up the volume to max, like like bass bumping in terms of like the energy level in that in that area of the zodiac so you know uranus is already exciting things and kind of like putting electricity into the environment that is taurus and then the north node or rahu comes in and sort of um just amplifies that to a a huge extent and i just remember um austin Kopic talking about uranus and taurus and um I don't know if he was talking about when, you know, eclipses were going to be there, but regardless, just talking about how being in person, this is before the pandemic, he was speaking about this too, which is just wild to think about, but how there's going to be a novelty to 
physicality and to being in person and to, um, yeah, just like almost like mundane things will kind of become exciting again. Um, and now, you know, thinking about, that was over two years ago that he that he said that I think he was talking about. I think he was just talking about Uranus and Taurus, like a future like Venus and Uranus conjunction or something. But it's it's very much applies to what we have coming up in 2022, what we kind of already have. And that's um, just going to kind of keep being turned up a notch, this like in-person or real-life tangible experiences, basically. Um, and Jupiter will be there next year, which is wild to think about. Um, <laughs> no, I think it's interesting that Rahu's going in because, I mean, I've been dabbling in Vedic recently. And Rahu, ironically, is a planet of illusions, right? And, you know, when that collides with Taurus, which is, you know, you know, ar arguably like very material and probably the more tangible of most of the signs, I think there's just going to be this like collision course with like, I guess like a hyper real, hyper like idealized version of, you know, what it was like to do simple things like. I remember like the Uranus Taurus um, stuff during the early pandemic being like learning how to bake bread or just bake period and like needing to have like peak, you know, like peak organic even. Because when I think of Taurus, I also think of the organicness of it. And I kind of contrast that to Libra which, you know, is where Saturn exalts. And there, it's not that there's this, it's not that it's not genuine. It's like this artificialness because of the Saturnian structure and like the idealized like form. So it's like almost like this hyper fixation on like reclaiming the organic, maybe not as perfect, but feels really good and wanting to get in touch with that again, I feel like will come when Uranus and um, Rahu eventually conjunct. Like, so that's something I've been thinking about a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's such a great point. Can I jump in on that? Yes, please. It made me think of something. And then I have two other thoughts that were, that I was thinking of when Jason was speaking. And I'll try to hit them quickly. But that contrast between Taurus and Libra that you were pointing to, Mo, makes me think of in the, um, broadly, I mean, this is going to be, the delineations or demarcations of this are going to be different on different disciplines, but broadly within the period that we know of as romanticism, especially in the arts, there's often this contrast between naturalism and artifice and the naturalism. It's, it's all theatrical, especially if we're thinking about like theater and dance and performance and things like that. But the naturalism is aiming towards this organicism and like making things look natural or, get in touch with natural ways of moving. Whereas the artifice is like the going to ballet class for 15 years so that you can acquire this very reified technique. That's nothing. There's nothing even remotely natural about it um, and not, and not pretending to be either. And so that contrast between the, the um, naturalistic and the artificial or the uh, naturalism and artifice that we see in romanticism feels like a, a like a nice touch point with with what you're describing between Taurus and Libra. And then when Jason was talking, oh, you t you made the point that embodiment was 
more like a journey than like a place that you began at or arrived to in some way. And that made me think of something that I think about with all the earth signs in different ways, which is this practicality that all of the earth signs are concerned with. And by practicality, I also mean practice the, the, like a thing, both what you do, but also how you do it. And, and in Taurus, maybe this thinking about embodiment as a practice, something that we practice coming into more and more embodiment or embodiment in different ways. What does it mean? How do we be a body? How do we do ourselves as bodies? Um, that thought came to mind. And then, oh, the senses as a meeting place with the other of like where actually the more in tune with your senses you become, the less isolated or individualistic you become made me think of, I can't remember which phenomenologist it was. It was either Maurice Merleau-Ponty or Edmund Husserl, but this idea of the life world, that as the more in tune we become with the perceptual apparatus, we get into, oh, this was Merleau-Ponty, um, we get in touch with what he described as the skin of the world. And the skin of the world is this sensorial meeting place between our senses and all that we are sensing, such that the, the contours of that become something like there is, there's no real differentiation between self and other in that place. Um, it almost gets into this like um, almost tantric place of I am that, that like the hamsa of I am that which I perceive. And so the, 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 the deeper we get into sensation and perception, the more we realize that we were never separate from this world in the first place, that what it means to be me is to be in touch with all that is other or that we, we would perceive in some sort of rational um, apparatus as other in some way. So those were my three thoughts, the, the naturalism and artifice, the um, embodiment as a practice, and then the, the skin of the world where the sensory apparatus brings us deeper into our disindividuation than it does our isolation, something like that. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for for adding that. Oof. I'm feeling Taurus good. Reflections. Just like yeah, just like, ooh, I feel good in my body right now. Just talking about Taurus. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's let's move on to our final earth sign. Um, our Virgo. Um, one that is near and dear to me because my my chart ruler is in Virgo, so I, I kind of consider myself a pseudo Virgo or, you know, <laughs> something like that. Um, but Jason, yeah, do you want to kick us off to talk about Virgo, our mutable earth sign? Sure. Gosh. I mean, it's, yeah, with the heavy concentration Virgo in my chart, sometimes it's just like, it's like too close to my face to see <laughs> clearly. Yeah, where uh, do we start? <laughs> yeah, just, just being it. Um, yeah, so... We've talked about the sort of general qualities of Earth having to, a lot to do with um, uh, of stability, of, of kind of solidness, and Capricorn and um, and Taurus kind of bring out that quality in different ways. But Virgo as a mutable sign and uh, Mercury as kind of having this quality of changeability. Um, for it, it kind of makes me think of 
the earth can't support life unless there is that like that change quality is like preserved within it um it can't be sort of allowed to become a completely solid dense block um it, it needs um it requires a porousness uh breathability inside of it in order to um be in service to life um so I actually kind of think about Virgo as relating to the things that that uh, allow for that space, that create that space in the solidness of, of Earth, so that that change can can continue. Um, I think I, I often jump to the image of mushrooms and mycelium, um, particularly because I mean I'm not an expert in by any means, but just thinking about how its function in the ecosystem is both to um, to link organisms uh, through these networks of, of, you know, essentially like mutual aid uh, where the resources and information is being shared uh, between other organisms, but also um, something that breaks down, uh, breaks down organic material and essentially like renders it available uh for as as nutrients again as like base nutrients for the the life forms around it um and that for me like makes the kind of like analysis like stereotype of virgo like much more like concrete and and embodied i think um because otherwise it would seem like it's like, well, shouldn't Virgo be an air sign, right? Because it's like, it's like so like heady and abstract and like it's like analysis is this sort of distant, not very solid thing. But when I think about it as kind of this process of, of um, breaking down into constituent parts, uh, then, then it's something different. Um, it's interesting too, to think about that breakdown piece for myself. Um, and also with kind of compared to the general earth quality of like practicality. Um, I often find that like my own expression of like Virgo ness is like not very practical in some ways because sometimes there's just like so much pleasure in the breakdown itself of the analysis of the kind of like, uh, like what is this made of, you know, like what, like what do I see in these parts and like uh, how do they all fit back together is that that has enough satisfaction and and uh, and kind of for me like a sensual pleasure to it uh, that I kind of don't really always need to do something with it. I don't have the sort of like end goal uh, kind of aim. Like sometimes that's enough and um, uh yeah so it, it it brings questions somebody from... has do you have venus in virgo too i don't it's my okay, it's in leo, leo. It's in leo. Mm-hmm. okay <laughs> the, the pleasure in it is what got me um i love that though totally yeah so it's uh but again like going back to that in service to to life piece um and kind of some of my beginning remarks about um kind of some of the crossover i see with the the metal phase and the chinese uh five element or five phase system um 
Virgo is as kind of like a steward of what is supposed to be returned to the earth, um, that is supposed to be like redigested um, and reincorporated back into the earth. Um, yeah, I was, I was reading very excitedly about uh, a, a project that's been going on for a while and just um, it used to be called the Urban Death Project and now is, uh, is a company called Recompose and it's it's this uh, specific process of kind of like accelerating the decomposition of a human body um, back into kind of like a mass of soil and um, kind of this project of, of kind of alternative a green burial or well in this case not burial but uh, of alternative funerary practices and uh, yeah I was like uh, it's like oh, Virgoing again because that is that that just that decomposition breakdown piece and the returning of um, of what the wholeness of life like requires to 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 keep going. Um, yeah, those are those are a lot of pieces that I I link up, um, which I guess also. In, in the sort of maybe more uh, 12 letter alphabet kind of approach to things where Virgo uh, is associated with the sixth house, I feel like you can come to that service place also through this symbolism without, without going there. And um, I think about the role, like roles that are not center stage, roles that are like supportive and um, that are off to the side of that kind of facilitate things happening rather than necessarily doing the thing itself um which also loops in really closely with how i started to think about um mercury as being very associated with kind of that ministerial role because it never is you know a sign apart from from the sun um yeah so what what are those like small details and logistics that need to be taken care of to sort of enable this whole other process to happen um and it's i think i've been thinking about all this too just because i i've found myself uh, largely through circumstance like uh in moving having moved away from kind of the somatics and like body work world into kind of doing more uh, sort of customer support type things and like just finding a completely different expression of like my Virgo and instincts like coming up and like just um, just seeing like what what all the links and processes are and like optimizing them and um, setting the the pleasure of setting them in order so that things like run smoothly and correctly uh, I'll start there. There's a couple other points on my on my list, but I'm sure we'll we'll get to it as we talk about it. That's like precisely why I love hiring Virgo moons so much. I have a lot of Virgo moons working for me because <laughs> they just they can link they they take pleasure in that. That's that's what's so great about it for me. I mean, everything you've said, I've just been like beaming and so excited about. <laughs> um, and one thing in particular, just to kind of piggyback off of what you were just saying, um, with Mercury's uh, 
Mercury being associated with service and Virgo specifically being associated with service and removing that from the association with the sixth house um, and really thinking about it as being a mercurial thing. And just like what you said, it's its relationship with the sun, its proximity to the sun. The sun we're going to look at as, you know, a representation of the king or, you know, the leader, you could say, of what, whatever group. Um, Mercury always being so close by. Um, I think you said not what what word you said. What word did you use um, to describe Mercury's kind of proximity to like ministerial? Yes, thank you. Because um, I I think of it as you know Mercury is the messenger and you know the messenger of the king, kind of delivering um, delivering messages from the heavens to earth or. Um, from the kingdom to the people, what have you, um, and that, and then it's of itself is a is a service role like that. Um, just like you said, being able to take care of the little things so that the entire system can function. And system is like my number one Virgo role uh, word um, because it is so much about like what are all the moving parts. And Virgo has this ability to really examine each and every part and seeing how they functions and how it all functions together as a system, as a whole. Um, and yeah, just uh, the, the thing about um, how Virgo kind of governs this process of bringing us back to the earth just made me think about how Hermes, you know, ushering souls um, into the underworld and, and how Mercury was the only sort of being or, or what have you that could cross all those boundaries, could cross from heaven to the, you know, to the, the earthly realm, to the underworld and back. Um, so that just like sprung all those things off of my head around that. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for that. That was beautiful. Um, <laughs> Mo, do you have, do you have things you want to say about oh Virgo? God. I have so many thoughts. Like, <laughs> as somebody who has both the lot of spirit and lot of fortune in Virgo. Ooh. And, and, a, and we can say a domiciled, yeah, domiciled yeah, Mercury as well. But I have Mercury in uh, Gemini, so it's, 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 it's a little interesting. Um, you know, I've been thinking a lot about the duality of Mercury, like, just examining my own, like, lot lord. And... Um, like, I really love what Jason was saying about the, like, breaking things down and extracting them into their, like, fundamental parts. Like, I think that's something that both, you know, um, Virgo and Gemini are very good at. But, like, for Virgo, it's almost like there's, like, a utilitarian sort of piece. And it's, like, whether you're thinking about, like, I think of the fact that in the, you know, 12-letter alphabet or just, like, the body scheme, like... Virgo's associated with the digestive system and what you're doing is breaking down food to extract like the nutrients that will be repurposed so that you can like build all your proteins and all that great stuff and so like what I think is the difference between like the um Gemini expression versus the Virgo expression is that I think that like I think about what Amaya said to me in a consult actually about um uh, air signs but in particular Gemini being like a place of evolution it's like let's break things down and like just throw together random permutations and see what we get whereas like 
the Virgo um, Mercury piece is like let's re let's extract things and like repurpose them for something else. Not necessarily to put them back together, but it's like this part could be useful here or this part could be useful there. And I think that's a very loud expression of um, sort of the mercurial aspect. But I also think of like, again, artisans, right? Because even though Venus is fallen in Virgo, I think of like, there's this like striving for um, material sort of perfection, which is some weird undercurrent that like, I feel um, Libra and Virgo have in common. They like want things to be structured in a certain way. But I think um, because of the mercurial nature of Virgo, like there's this understanding that like things can be put together in any way but because they're striving for this ideal. It's like it's hard to find the right combination that like makes you feel good or that is like appealing to the eye. So I think that's really interesting. I love that as, as someone with, um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, Venus and Libra and then also my Jupiter and Virgo, I can, I can attest to that. Yeah. Like the, I feel like the difference with Venus, it's very much just like, I want it to look good. You know, with Virgo, it's like, even if it looks good from the outside, if I know something underneath is a little fucked up, like that's going to bother me forever, you know? <laughs> so like Virgo needs to like, it needs to be good from the inside out or from like, you know, all the pieces of the puzzle have to be perfect. With Libra, it's sort of just like, as long as it's poised and beautiful on the outside, like that's good enough. <laughs> the combination is me and my, my crazy ass. <laughs> but but um, yeah, Michael, do you have, I'm sure you have thoughts on Virgo to share. <laughs> I do. I mean, my first thought is actually sort of uh, building on the things that Jason and Mo were already pointing to in terms of this, like breaking things down and recombining things or extracting and, and, and recomposing and things. I think whenever I'm thinking about and talking about Virgo, um, the first thing that comes to mind is an adept and is that Virgo is adept at transforming the available materials into their most uh, useful or effective or efficient form, whether that's like trans processing plant materials into herbal medicines or doing like deep data analysis and transforming that data into something that's like useful and applicable in um, practical ways. Like it's not just abstract numbers. It's like, what do we do with that data? I think all of those are sort of Virgo qualities that I, uh, or qualities that I associate with Virgo is this transforming what's available into more useful or most useful forms. And that requires maybe the other keyword that I think of often with Virgo is um, a real skill at adaptation. And maybe even language that comes from Adrienne Marie Brown, um, who has son in Virgo, by the way, um, which is intentional adaptation. That it's not just cha constant change for the sake of change, but how do we participate in the reality that the material circumstances, material conditions are always changing. And Virgo is really adept at um, adapting inside those constantly changing material conditions in ways that have a clarity of intention, which isn't the same thing as like the persistence and unwavering quality of Taurus, but at rather a, an ongoing responsiveness to what is changing, that 
the, the constant adaptation, it also requires that ongoing attention and analysis of what has shifted, what has changed, how do we revise the plan or the procedure or the methodology in response to the conditions that have changed. We thought it was going to be this. Now we're halfway through this process. It's become something else. To make this plan effective, we have to change the plan. And so the outcome is, is kind of like, I, I actually often steer away from the word perfection with Virgo, although I do think that in, a, in terms of a personality trait, a perfectionism might present itself, but that more it's that constant refinement in response to what has changed are the qualities that I associate with, with Virgo. And just to give a little bit of language to that, what I referenced as intentional adaptation that comes from Adrienne Marie Brown's book, Emergent Strategy. So there's a whole chapter on intentional adaptation, which I kind of think of as like one of the handbooks for Virgo that I could offer to Virgo folks, people with prominent Virgo placements. And she says about intentional adaptation, she says, quote, intentional adaptation is the heart of emergent strategy. How we live and grow and stay purposeful in the face of constant change actually does determine both the quality of our lives and the impact that we can have when we move into action together. And then later in that same chapter, she says, but this element is not about pure adaptation, which has led to every functional and dysfunctional condition we know. I'm talking about the combination of adaptation with intention, wherein the orientation and movement towards life, towards longing, is made graceful by the act of adaptation. This is the process of changing while staying in touch with our deeper purpose and longing. And some of that language of of staying in touch with the deeper longing and the, the, the intention of moving towards life um, reminded me of some of what Jason was talking about in terms of um, Virgo being in some way like the stewards guiding us back to our connection with the earth, back to our connection towards life and livability, which of course in this moment of immense climate collapse, crisis, chaos, requires ongoing adaptation, not in the um, not in the sense of relentless innovation for the sake of innovation, but for a purpose. How do we come back into or forward into right relationship with life and livability? What needs to change in our practices and our procedures and our methods and methodology in order to be well with this planet that is undergoing such immense change? We, how do we change with the planet that is in so much upheaval and crisis at the moment? Um, yeah, those are some of my thoughts on Virgo. It's beautiful. Yeah, I think, oh, you go, you go, Jason. Oh, I, I was just say, I, I love all of that. Uh, and it just made me think about the, the perfection piece and the perfectionism, um, which, yeah, it, it, it can show up as, um, as kind of coming from a motivation of, of, control and because of the way that uh, Virgo can see with such like granularity um, the possibilities for control are basically infinitely expanded uh, which can become a very neurotic way to do things uh, approach approach life but um, but thinking again about about the earth and what sort of can be given back to the earth and what enables life, uh, to kind of continue with its processes. Um, 
and actually this this jumps off on kind of what you were saying Kira about like when something's like not correct like on, on, on that level it's just like this is just going to bother me and it's that acute sensitivity to the thing that is uh inhibiting some fundamental process that that wants that is happening and like like the the virtue that virgo can express is like very immediately and quickly identifying what that hitch is and um when it's in healthy expression it's like okay this doesn't belong here now and uh and things are allowed to flow again and um the life processes are are uh allowed to continue um because it's it's when there's too many of those little blocking points it's it's um there, there's an instinct about what is going to go wrong if those things are not corrected um and yeah that again that sensitivity can be applied in very effective ways or very <laughs> neurotic ways yeah that's that's kind of what i was going to bring up too is the 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 detail-oriented nature of virgo that that folks often talk about um and yeah it is a, just like you said this acute sensitivity to just like I would just kind of say the details, like the, every single piece um, of the system or of of the way whatever it is functions, um, and being able to discern. I would say discriminate. I think Virgos have an incredible sense of discrimination um, and just being able to sort things into, like you, you were talking about before, what's most useful or what is it going to be most useful for. And I always, always, always think of Charlie and Chocolate Factory, like the golden egg thing or the golden goose egg thing. Um, and like the bad egg, the good egg, like that's always what comes to mind. I don't I don't know why it's always that. <laughs> but yeah, this ability to kind of be like, this isn't good here. This will work better here. Um, and, and I think that's where we, yeah, like we get the the filtering quality of Virgo and with that, like a, a purifying quality as well. Like I think of Virgo often as just trying to um, achieve a sense of, again, we could say perfection, we could say purity. And I, those words are so, they, they're nasty to me <laughs> in a lot of ways. And, you know, they're kind of triggering words, but it is just sort of the striving towards that. I don't, I don't think that anyone... I shouldn't say anyone, but I'm not trying to say that all Virgos are trying to be perfectionists or anything, but I think that there is this idea that, um, you know, if I can, if I can see what's wrong and like, I can fix it, then like, I'm going to do that. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to keep kind of striving towards, um, you know, perfection, even though again, weird word, but, <laughs> but yeah, that's where we get the, the pickiness of Virgo, um, it's the, I think, just knowing that things can always get better and things can always improve and we're always in this, like, functioning, flowing, influx system of, um, yeah, constant improvement or um, or just maybe, again, I don't really like the word improvement, but refining is a, it's definitely a really good word. Um, yeah. Anything else about Virgo? Yeah. You know, I've been thinking about everybody's like metaphors for Virgo, and for some reason, like just that progression through the final three uh, cards of the um, 
pentacles uh, is just standing out to me in terms of like how loud it is in terms of like the manifestations. So like the first, what is it? The eight of pentacles being like the tweaking, um, refining your craft, like trying to contribute to a process because you have that acute awareness practice um, it's like continuous yeah. practice <laughs> i really like the um what is it the thoth depiction because it's like a, a growing plant it's like giving some of that agrarian metaphor and then you move to the the nine of pentacles which is kind of like giving me like you know the winemaker like knowing which combinations to do where you know like how long you should age when you should bottle like things like harvest, that yeah yeah and then like just in the bird in that card and that bird Virgo. literally like <laughs> that goddamn bird <laughs> it's like i'm gonna kill everything that's eating my crops like yeah it's, it's just great like every little you know every little <laughs> bug every little mite or whatever just getting in there and yeah, like, <laughs> anything that's keeping my harvest from perfection, basically. Right, and then, like, that last card, especially when we start talking about the... Because there's this, like, implicit, like, sort of decaying process that comes up, like, we talk about Virgo, because, like, what is digestion but, you know, like, decay, right? And erosion. It's, it's like, this weird parallel that, um, you know, Virgo has with Capricorn, because there's this, like eroding quality that's like going on but like I think of it in terms of like you know the mycelium because you know fungi are you know resident um what are they scavengers or something where they end up recycling nutrients that you know other organisms benefit from and so I think like it's nice how everybody's depictions of Virgo brings this like imagery full circle kind of yeah, I love that. And I just have to bring it back to the first thing that you said, Jason, around, you know, in order for Earth to function um, in the way it does, there needs to be this, like, cyclical moving, you know, um, uh, mutable process to it, which is the, yeah, that Virgoan sort of, like, yeah, changing, ever-changing um, piece to it. It's like we're not just this static, you know, fixed ball, <laughs> ball of earth. Like we, there's so much um, continuous change and movement around it. And, you know, that kind of, we, we, we're not going to go to, we're not going to go here, but it reminds me of the um, Virgo being, in the third house of the Themamundi. Um, and often, and, and just thinking about the third house as a, as a lunar, um, as a lunar space and the process of like, you know, birth, life, death, that whole birth, life, death cycle. Um, what am I even getting at? Oh my God, Kira, just, I guess cycles in general and how it's often, I think the third house conflated with with um, Gemini and Mercury in that aspect. Um, but thinking about it more as like this Virgoan um, process of like cycles and, and systems and processes. Um, I don't know. That's just pinging things in my brain <laughs> around Mercury and the moon and, and um, how they're often, how they do have a lot in common basically um, in different ways. But 
we won't go there because we've been talking for so long <laughs> and I need to let you guys go. <laughs> but um, I guess to close out, I just, you know, as our earth sign advocates basically here, um, if there's anything that you want to speak to that you think the world should know about earth signs that you think, you know, to combat stereotypes or just something that that us other signs need to know to to um to cater to our earth sign friends and loved ones a little bit more um anything to share <laughs> like hu- hug a capricorn sort of thing <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to call on someone soon. <laughs> well, it's funny because the thing that I was thinking about was taking time. <laughs> mm, I love and, I know uh, my, my Aries moon is like rushing you like, come on, <laughs> earth signs, hurry up. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, yeah, giving space, giving time just with, with, yeah, the the earth element is not there. The change is there, but it is it is a change on a, a, a not on a moment by moment basis. It's a it's a, a long a much longer arc of time, and um, I think too part of that is there's probably um, a bias towards solidity and form and that also takes time right so like the f- first thought might not always be the trusted thing it's like let me like chew on that let me actually assemble uh the what it is i'm trying to say and i think especially for my virgo brain if there's like a piece missing i can tell there's a piece missing of what i'm like trying to express and like i want to like have that piece uh before I, I utter it. Um, I mean, I guess, thank goodness I have a Gemini moon to just blurt out stuff. <laughs> so it's balance. But, um, yeah, uh, give, give Earth a little bit of space and time, and the thing that comes out is like, it's like, oh, okay, I'm glad I waited for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a great point. Thank you for that. Uh, I can go. So I've been thinking a lot about the hierarchy of spirituality and I really like thinking about the earth element as the thing that grounds us and how ironic that a lot of these spiritual practices that people are getting into nowadays involve like meditation mindfulness like getting connected with your body I mean even exercising and like eating well like So I want to say that, um, first of all, I think that the challenge or the dichotomy between like spiritual and like material is false. And I think that, um, that. by, you know, getting rooted in the physical, like we can have greater access to the spiritual. Um, also as a Taurus, albeit a spicy one, given all my fire placements, um, stop calling us lazy, indulgent, and like, um, yeah, it's just, you know, and I find that the idea that Turians are selfish is also not false, and I'm so glad that everyone had things to share about how indulging in certain senses is a bridge point for connecting, and I think that people should learn about, like, 
what connection means outside of like the, you know, the virtual sense. I know that's hard with the way the world is, but I'm hoping that Rahu and Taurus will encourage us to get back to that. Thank you for that. Wow. I mean, most of what I was thinking are, is simply going to echo things that Jason and Mo just said, Um, because one of the first things in terms of like, what's the message of the world message to the world from earth signs. Similarly, the first thing I thought was slowing down and, um, the kind of patience of being present and letting things unfold over time and through duration that I think that that is wisdom that earth signs hold very clearly. Um, and then the, the second thing I was thinking was this false dichotomy, false binary between, earth and um, ether or matter and spirit. Um, I could not agree more. It's a false dichotomy. So maybe part of what the earth signs hold or offer is the realization of the divinity of earth. That if in this um, order of the spheres, if the divine is that which is farthest from earth, what if we offer a model in which um, we understand the divinity of earth itself of materiality, of the body, of coming into attunement with the the material reality that we're living through. And it actually makes me think of, I, I don't know her chart, but Alkistis Demek, who is a dancer and choreographer and a cultist, and she's one of the publishers of Scarlet Imprint. Um, and in an interview, I can't remember what podcast she was on, the interviewers asked made a presumption and a presumption that I think is really rampant in astrology communities and occult communities and things like that, which was like, when did you have your, like your, your moment of waking up from materialism? Like, when did you turn from materialism? And Alkista said, Oh, um, I didn't, I consider myself a materialist because I believe that matter is spirit. They're, they're not separate from one another. It's so this idea of like, when did you wake up to like, it's not all matter and give your attention to spirit. And as a dancer and as a choreographer and as a ritualist, she was like, all of my practice recognizes the inherent spirit and divinity of the body of materiality. And it was such a, I mean, this, it felt like things I've been saying for decades, but also like so clearly articulated of like matter and spirit are the same thing. Like what you're talking about when you say spirit is also the body. It's not in. It's not inside the body. The body isn't a shell or a vessel or a container. It is that thing. And I think that that is something that I hope Earth Signs can offer to the world as as a message, as wisdom, as insight. Is like how do we come back to an understanding of the inherent divinity of materiality? Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Oh, we're going to end it there. Thank you guys so much for this. Oh, my God. This is so nurturing and nourishing and grounding. And delicious. Um, can, we, can, can we tell the people listening where they can find you and learn more about you or not? <laughs> I mean, like, you know, if, there, if, if you don't want people to find you, then that's okay, too. Um, <laughs> Jason, do you want to start? Sure. Um, yeah, I probably just hang out online. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, uh, at Jason K, J-A-Y-S-U-N-K-E-I. Um, uh, and I post occasionally on Instagram as well, uh, mostly tarot spreads and of my adorable niece uh, at Jason of Mercury. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, Michael. Um, yeah, my website is uh, michaeljmorris.co. Um, and you can find me on Instagram at Co Witchcraft Offerings and check the spelling because I'm dealing with a week of a lot of impersonators this week. So just check the spelling. <laughs> um, and then Twitter uh, at Morris Michael J. Awesome. And Mo. Okay. Um, I am Austral Tour everywhere. So Austral is in like the first part of Australia, which is like Southern. Um, <laughs> and then Tor, which is the first part of Taurus, you know, pretty straightforward. Um, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Instagram, currently building a website. So stay tuned for that. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Great. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for hanging in there. If you're still listening, <laughs> if you took a break, thanks for sticking in there with us. And, um, We'll see you next time with Water Signs. Thanks, guys. This was amazing. Thanks, Kira. Thanks, Mo. Thank you. Thanks, Jason. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Astrology Show. Um, yeah, how great was that episode? So beautiful. I'm so blessed. <laughs> I'm so blessed to have the friends I do in this community and to just be connected to such amazing people. So make sure you follow um, Mo and Jason and Michael um, and consume more of their brilliance <laughs> in, in their offerings. Um, and yeah, we will be seeing you again on Monday with another episode, our first interview. Oh, no, no, no. That's not on this Monday. Um, this upcoming Monday is Valentine's Day. So we will be bringing you a whole episode about compatibility and about Cusp, my app. <laughs> yeah, we've been gone for so long. You don't. Even, you might not even know that I launched an app. It's called Cusp. Um, download it right now. We're on um, iOS and Android. And it's C-U-S-P, Cusp Astrology. Um, it's daily horoscopes focused on love. It's not necessarily just romantic love either. Um, honestly, it's a whole lot of self-love in there. And um, there's also these beautifully written overviews. So you get these beautifully written horoscopes every day. Um, and then you also get these like beautifully written overviews <laughs> of your placements. Um, and then you also get these incredible um, compatibility reports. And we're going to be talking all about that whole process of writing those compatibility reports on Monday. So why don't you do yourself a favor, download Cusp right now if you don't already have it. Um, if you do have it, check your horoscope today, <laughs> um, and run a compatibility report, you know, match with some of your friends. We have friendship compatibility reports. We have romance compatibility reports and you guessed it, sexual compatibility reports. They're also good. They're also fun. 
Um, and you're going to want to play around with it a little bit before we um, talk about it again on Monday for our next episode. So I'm super excited for that. And then next Thursday, you'll get the next in our sign series. Um, and yeah, the 11th house doors are open for the next couple of days. Um, you basically have until the full moon at the very latest. We might close doors before then. Um, well, the, we'll definitely be closing doors by the 15th. Um, so I'll give you one more reminder on Monday, um, on the 14th, but we'd love to see you. We'd love to have you for our Leo full moon gathering on February 16th. Um, it's going to be our first big gathering since doors have been reopened. So yeah, I hope to see you. And, um, if not inside of the 11th house, I hope to see you at one of our guest workshops coming up. So make sure to check out Um, the links in the show notes if you're interested in any of this and as always shoot us one of those five stars you don't even know how helpful it is and even more helpful um, when you write us a review so yeah since we've been off air for so long (laughs) we you basically you know we kind of get lower 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 on the charts so when you write reviews when you Give us five stars um, when you share and, you know, share on, on your stories, share on social, um, on Twitter. It helps so much. It helps a lot. And I read the reviews and um, we save them. And it makes me, it makes all of, it makes everything worth it, honestly. Um, a big reason why I came back to this and that we're doing so many episodes this season is because I've gotten so much love excuse me, so much love for the podcast. Um, And I was like, I got to get the people what they want. So (laughs) I really appreciate it. And it definitely doesn't go unnoticed. Um, Yeah, and more fun stuff to come. I'm really excited about this year and um, all the cool things I have to share with you guys and hopefully meeting some of you IRL. I've been doing some IRL teaching this year and traveling. So We'll see, but more to come. Talk to you again very soon. Have a lovely weekend or or day or hour, whatever you're doing. <laughs> I hope it's good. Um, and we'll talk to you again soon.